So if you have your, your Bible uh, with you, or if you look to a pew Bible, turn to the book of Ruth, um, chapter 3. This is on page 223, um, this, this short yet, yet beautiful book of, of the Old Testament. So, so Ruth, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Uh, listen as I read. Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and, and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer." And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, by Yahweh, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor, or poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning I will redeem you. Good. Um, sorry, if I will redeem you, good. Let, or sorry, <laughs> um, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. Uh, but if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until morning. Uh, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not um, be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, uh, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, say, um, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must go back, you must not go back empty handed to your mother in law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for. And the, that you've given us your word. We thank you for uh, these historical narratives of real people and that we can learn 
lessons about how to live, about who you are through it, Lord. And so we pray that you would um, guide our, our study today. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a, a reminder of, of where we are in the book of Ruth, what's been, been happening. Uh, back in, in, in chapter 1, it began with um, this man, Elimelech, and his family. They were well-to-do people in Bethlehem and in Judah. And uh, then a terrible famine arose, and they didn't know what to do. And so they, they decided, hey, let's flee to a place where we think that there's food, to the land of Moab, to the east of Israel. And um, it, it was probably kind of a foolish decision. Moab was known as an enemy of Israel. They were known for um, immorality, for idolatry. Uh, but they went in any, anyway. And um, as they came to Moab, uh, it went from bad to worse. Uh, Elimelech died. And then his sons uh, made a, another foolish decision, uh, married Moabite women, which the, the law of God says they shouldn't have done. Um, and then they, they lived for, for 10 years, but even there they didn't have children for 10 years. And then their husbands die. And so le leaving these two bereaved Moabite widows, leaving the widow Naomi. Seems completely hopeless at that time and, and place. But then um, we begin to see this glimmer of hope that God's still there, he's still active, he still cares. And so they hear that the Lord has brought bread to, back to Israel. And so they, they begin this, this slow, arduous journey um, to Israel. And uh, it's Naomi, but then also her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. But being a, a caring mother-in-law, Naomi tries to convince them, go back to your homeland because you're going to have a better chance of being able to remarry and just have a happy you know, Moabite suburban life if you go back. You're not going to have that if you go with me to, to Israel. Um, and Orpah, the, the, the one daughter-in-law, says, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to you, goes back. Uh, but then it says that, that Ruth um, clung to Naomi. She, she held fast to her. And remarkably, she, at the end of chapter one, she covenants herself, so there's the idea of a covenant, to Naomi. Uh, but not just to Naomi in life and death, but she says that, that Naomi's God will be her God, that Naomi's people will be her people. And so she really is, is professing faith in the God of Israel being brought into the, the covenant community. It's, it's remarkable. And, and last week, um, Jonathan uh, walked us, or Jonathan, I pointed that way. There you are. Um, Jonathan uh, walked us through um, chapter two, uh, which is really once these, these two women, basically homeless, arrive in Bethlehem, um, they are, they're still in a, a really tough place because, I mean, essentially they're homeless. They don't have a good way to employ themselves. And if they were 21st century Americans, they probably would have either you know, gone to the street corner and panhandle, you know, put out a jar or something like that, or they would go to a, a homeless shelter or, or to a soup kitchen. But the, the equivalent of those things back in ancient Israel was going to a field and trying to pick up little bits of grain that had fallen behind the workers. Because, you know, as they're gathering the wheat and the barley, you know, they pick up these big bundles. And you probably know that. You know, pick up a big armful and then things start falling, you know, and you're carrying grain and little bits would fall behind. And the, the Lord had very specifically said in his law that farmers shouldn't be greedy and send a second group of people behind to try to pick up all the little bits that fall. 
But he said, no, leave those for the sojourner, for the, the, the immigrant, for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan to come and gather, uh, which is you know, really great provision for, for the weak and the, and the powerless. And so that's what, what Ruth does. She, she goes out um, into the, to the fields to glean behind the workers. Kind of a risky thing, because um, this is, remember the, the period of the judges, bad, bad time. Um, and so she's putting herself in danger out with the, you know, the rough and tumble men of the, of the fields. But, but God's providence, she, she happens into the, the field of a man named Boaz. Um, and, and we find out that Boaz is, is a great godly Israelite, that, that he cares for the, the weak, the marginalized, cares for this woman. He, he gives her grain. And he even tells his men, you know, watch out for her, that no one assaults her while she's in the field, um, just showing you know, great care and, and concern for a woman in the position of, of, of Ruth. But then also we get this little hint of hope um, for Ruth and Naomi that, that Boaz is not only a good godly Israelite, but also he is actually related to Elimelech, to um, Naomi's deceased husband. And so you say, okay, so what? He's, he's a relative. What does that mean? Um, well, it, it means really, really good things um, because in, in ancient Israel, the, the Lord had, had given the people the land and said, you're going to possess the land um, for, you know, until the Messiah comes, right? Um, he says forever. Um, and so he needed to make sure that through premature death, a line or a branch in a family tree doesn't get cut short. And so to provide for that, the Lord had given the Israelites something called Leverite marriage. And uh, listen to how actually this is explained in God's word in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. It says, If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And there, so then you see the purpose, you know, that the name won't be blotted out. And so it's strange to us you know, here in, in 21st century America, but it was, it was actually a gracious thing that God had given them at that time, that culture. Um, but, but he also had provided for kind of the exception. So if... If for some reason the brother couldn't marry the widow, or the brother-in-law rather, um, then it would go to the uncle, if not to the uncle, then to a cousin, and then to the next relative. So it would just kind of move down the, the line of, of relationship. Um, so here is, going back to our passage, Boaz, who is he's a relative, he's a, a kinsman redeemer, um, and so they, they, they have this hope of redemption for the, the line of, of Elimelech, and he's, he's godly, he's been caring for Ruth, um, and he even had commended Ruth and said, Ruth, I think you are a very godly lady in the fact that you left everything to follow your, your mother-in-law. But after the, the time of harvest, which would have been probably um, April or, or May, um, it's going to be a couple months that they've known each other, Ruth and and Boaz, and, it, and he hasn't taken any steps to pursue this role of, of redeeming Ruth. And, and so I, I mean, you can almost think of you know, a, a girl in, 
a college or something who says, you know, I know that the guy, he's a nice guy, I think he likes me, but why hasn't he asked me out yet? Um, and, and it's sort of probably that feeling that, that Ruth had of, okay, is he going to, to do anything? Why is he waiting? And so because of that, um, Naomi, in our passage, begins to say, okay, I'll, I'll take the matters into my hands. Uh, it's sort of the fiddler on the roof, you know, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match kind of, kind of moment. Um, and so she begins to, to unlay, lay out this, this plan. Uh, look at, at verse 1. <clears throat> then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, or, uh, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? And so notice she, she is here identifying that this felt need for Ruth. She's, she's saying, you, you need rest. You need it to go well with you. Because, I mean, they were probably surviving, gleaning in the fields, but that's still more like the equivalent of working at McDonald's today, where you're not going to starve, but maybe if you're trying to support your family, it's, it's not a sustainable thing. It takes you know, lot, lots and lots of long hours of of work, so, so they need rest. And I, and I think that we are people as well today who can identify with that need of, of rest. And it's not in the same way that Ruth and Naomi did probably, but I think that your average suburban 21st century American has this deep existential need for rest. And that so often we're, we're, we're tired, we're, we're tired of the the rat race, or we're tired of the, the same routines, or we're tired of making the same mistakes over and over again, or we're tired of having the same fight with our family again and again, or we're tired of the, the brokenness that we see in our lives or in the world, or we're tired of the, the pain that we feel in our body or our heart or our soul, and, and we look for, for rest, and, and we look and look and look, and, and so often rest is, is hard to find, that we look for it in entertainment or drugs or alcohol or, or yoga or self-help, all these places, and where's, where's the rest? We, we still feel like we need it. But here in our, in our text, Naomi shows Ruth where she should go to, to seek rest. Look at verse 2. Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young men, young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And so you, you could almost think of this as kind of the CIA operation of, of Naomi. She, this is you know, Operation Find Rest for uh, Ruth. Uh, and it, all of it is based on this key piece of intelligence that she has going into this situation, which is partly just her cultural understanding of the barley harvest and also knowing that Boaz is going to be threshing barley uh, at the, the threshing floor that particular night. And, and really, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, in ancient Israel, I mean, they, as they harvested the, the grain, the, the wheat and the, and the barley, they would need to separate the, the grain from the, from the husk. And so the way that they did that is they would go to create what was called a threshing floor. And so it would be a 
usually on a hilltop because of wind that would come, it could blow away the, the chaff and they would clear out a big circular space, remove all the rocks, the, uh, the dirt, they would um, make it flat. Um, and it could be circular, so you know, a donkey could go in circles around it or pull a, some kind of rock or sledge behind that could you know, grind it and, and separate the, the husk from the wheat. Um, and they put you know, stones around it, and once it was separated, they'd throw it in the air, and the wind would, would blow away the chaff. But it, as part of that as well, um, those places were often targets for, for bandits and for people to come and, and steal grain, or even for, for animals. I mean, I know that my, my great aunt in, in North Carolina, who was kind of a, she was, she would have been a hillbilly. She wouldn't mind me saying that you know, if, she, if she were still living. Um, but she would, you know, go out and sleep in the, the corn patch to keep away the, the raccoons um, at night, you know, and, and it was, you know, real, real commitment to that, you know, with the, with the shotgun. Um, and and that, that, that's kind of the equivalent of what people would do on the threshing floor. They would want to protect the, the, the labors of their, of their work. Um, and so th they would work at night when there were breezes and then, they, but hey, they're, they're out away from home. Let's have some food. Let's celebrate. Let's, let's eat and drink. Um, you know, go to sleep, kind of make a, a celebration of it. But also think, okay, these men out at the threshing floor, um, often alone, guarding it. It was also known as a place of prostitution. Um, listen to what the, the prophet Hosea says in Hosea chapter 9, verse 1. It says, you have loved prostitutes' wages on all threshing floors. And so the prophet Hosea is saying that, that every single threshing floor has become this a place of, of prostitution. So just with, with that in, in your mind, um, look again at, at, at Naomi's plan. <coughs> so she's you know, making these assumptions that Boaz is going to do the normal practice. He's going to be there at night. He's going to work until he's tired. He's going to eat. He's going to drink. He's going to lie down to guard um, his grain. And so in light of this intelligence, then, she, she lays out the, the plan to you know, her key operative, uh, Ruth. Um, and so she says, you know, first of all, you should bathe yourself, which was a preparation for a marriage ceremony. She should anoint herself with, with oil, also preparation for a marriage ceremony. Uh, dress herself in probably her, her best clothes. Um, almost again like, like a bride preparing herself for a wedding. Then she should go outside the town and, and spy on Naomi, or sorry, on Boaz as he's threshing, uh, which, which is sort of a little bit creepy and stalkerish um, at, at first, but that's what she wants her to do, you know, be in a place, watch him, wait till he eats and drinks and lays down, pay attention to where he falls asleep, and then once he's asleep, you should go over, uncover his feet, and lie down beside him, and he will tell you what to do. Uh, so I don't know about, about you, but if I were Ruth, I, I'd kind of think, okay, of all the plans, can we think of a, what's plan B? You know? <laughs> is, is there any other way to, uh, to do this? Because there's so many things that could go wrong here. I mean, it, first of all, I mean, I was, I was mentioning the association of a threshing floor already, and if you, if you were to read this passage as an as a ancient Israelite in Hebrew, basically everything Naomi says could be reinterpreted as innuendo. 
like it's just it's just true. Like so many of the words are even in Hebrew are open to, to multiple interpretations. And so it's difficult at first to know, okay, is he sending her down is Naomi sending Ruth as, you know, a bride to propose marriage, or is it this kind of seduction plan more emulating a prostitute going to the threshing floor? Now I sincerely believe that that Naomi had good intentions in, in what she's doing. I don't think that that's what what she intends at all. Like she has sh definitely shown herself to be a, a godly lady, um, and this is this is a, a bold plan. But but yet there's risk uh, of being misunderstood in, in what she's doing, and and of course that raises the risk. Another thing that could go wrong is she, they have good intentions with what they're doing. They're going to to propose marriage, but then Boaz could totally misunderstand and and interpret her as coming as a um, seductress, in a sense, trying to, or trying to manipulate him in some way. He could reject her, maybe even then begin to, to spread lies in Israel, saying, you know, we thought she was, yeah, she's a Moabite, she seemed good, but, you know, watch out for that Ruth. I mean, if it goes wrong, it could, it could completely destroy her possibilities. But then also, they're assuming that Boaz is an upstanding godly person, um, and that if a, if a young woman suddenly appears at his feet in the middle of the night, anointed for marriage, that he's going to act honorably, and, and they have good reason to, to think that. But in, in the age of, of Me Too, um, in the age where so many leaders who seem godly and upstanding or, or moral are um, exposed, and you know, lists could go on and on, of, of people who have, um, turns out, who've taken advantage of, of their role. Um, and it's, it's leaders in, in arts and in politics and religion, you know, all across the board in different areas of culture. And so often the, the ingredients are an older man in a position of authority, a vulnerable woman, and a moment of opportunity. And so essentially what, what we have here is this potential of like this perfect Me Too mo or the terrible Me Too moment. Um, and who who would believe Ruth? I mean, Boaz is the one who's the the upstanding person in this situation. So, I mean, just to, to get ourselves into the, to the risk that they're they're taking, what's what's really at stake here? Um, but we see in verse five that Ruth, um, she's, she's not afraid. She, she takes her, her mother-in-law's advice. She says, all that you say, I will do. And I think that, that we can actually learn something as well from, from this boldness of Ruth, that, that she, she may seem foolish, but she's not. I mean, she's, she has good reason to trust Naomi and her character after having known her for 10 years. She has reason to trust the character of, of Boaz from everything that, that she has seen in the, in the fields and, and the care and the protection that he has already given. And so, so really what, what she's having to do is, is step out in faith, trusting the Lord, but also knowing that, that she can't control every possible outcome, every variable in a situation, but she has to, to trust the, the Lord to, to be active in this situation. And I think that, that sometimes we have to do that as well, where uh, we have to take some sort of bold action 
where we can't necessarily predict every single outcome that could come from it, but being wise before the Lord, trusting him for what he's going to do and he's going to bring out of it. I mean, you know, just as an example, sometimes we are called to, to care for somebody when there's a degree of, of risk in it. And people might say, well, that's foolish or you, you could be taken advantage of in some way, which is, is probably true. But again, we, we, we take the risk, um, trusting the Lord, um, trusting the outcomes to him and knowing that, that he will he will work for, for his glory, just as you know, Jesus was the friend of the, the sinner and the, the tax collector and often took risks to, to care for those who, who needed it most. So then look at what, what happens next as she begins to put this plan into to action in verse 6. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when, when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And so everything is working perfectly, it seems like, that, that uh, Naomi has been right each step of the way. So she's made it, you know, spied on him. He's now, he ate, he drank, his heart was merry. He's, he's now asleep. And, and just put yourself in Ruth's shoes for a minute and just think if you were there hiding somehow, you know, behind the, the rock waiting, you know, the, the firelight is, has, has died away, the light is off, maybe there's the moon, maybe stars, or maybe it's, it's, it's very dark, it's probably cold and, and, you know, the dry air. And so there's that moment where, you know, her heart's racing, okay, this is, this is the moment, am I actually going to to do this, and so she she sneaks down, she uncovers his feet and and lies down, um, and she doesn't know what's going to happen. Is she going to lie there for 45 minutes? Is she going to lie there for a couple hours? She's not going to sleep probably herself. Um, is she going to be there till till daybreak? How is Boaz going to react? So look at, at verse eight. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold. A woman laid his feet. And um, again, like now switching gears and putting yourself in the, in the, the shoes of, of Boaz. Uh, here, you know, he's, he's asleep. Um, I mean, actually, last night when I was sleeping, the, the covers got off of my feet. And I, I was like, oh, I'm pulling, trying to get the sheets down over my feet. And I thought, oh, this is great. You know, it's preparing for uh, preaching tomorrow. Um, but in, in that moment where, you know, you're trying to put, put the, the covers back over your feet because they're cold, and then all of a sudden, you know, you smell something like, wait, is that, is that woman's perfume? Is that uh, scented oil? And then you see a, a figure um, and you, I guess he somehow infers that it's a, it's a woman just lying there uh, besides you. It's kind of like a scary movie. And, you know, so it says he's, he's startled and, you know, we don't know exactly what his, his tone was, but he's probably jumping back, whoa, wait a second, who is this here? trying to, you know, disoriented, trying to put the pieces together. Because it's dark, he doesn't recognize her. And so he says, who, who are you, in, in verse 9? And probably assuming, well, I mean, young woman coming to the thrashing floor, probably know what this is, had to figure out what's happening. And this is the moment, then, that, that Ruth breaks the script from her mother-in-law. And so I think if Naomi were there, she'd probably be like, what are you doing? Um, because... 
what, what she does is, is this bold response. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So she introduces herself and, and just puts this request out there. Spread your wings over your servant. And this is, is super wise of her, the way that she is wording this. Uh, because she's actually taking something that Boaz himself had said when they, when they met. Back in chapter 2, look back at chapter 2, verse 12. Boaz says to her, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. And then listen, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so Boaz had basically said, this, you're here because you've come to take refuge under the wings of, of Yahweh, under the Lord. And so what, what Ruth is doing here brilliantly is saying, you remember how you said that I came to take refuge under the, the wings of Yahweh and the God of Israel. And that's true. That is why I've come here. But now, Boaz, you represent God to me. You represent God's steadfast love and his faithfulness, and you put your wings over me, and you protect and bring me close, which is also the, this, this proposal of marriage, like the, this image of put your wings over me as a way of speaking about marriage. And then she gives the reason for the marriage proposal. She says, for you are a redeemer. She's saying this isn't arbitrary. Um, it's not, I, I know who you are, that, that this is your duty before the Lord, that you are a redeemer, that you are, the, you are somebody who can restore the, the house of Elimelech, who can, who can restore the house of my deceased husband, Maclone. Um, and so spread your wings over your servant. Marry me. And so, uh, again, the, in, in Ruth's shoes, the tension's there. I don't know how long of a pause there was between that question and, and Boaz's answer. But I imagine there was probably a little bit of silence in between. Um, and then look at how he responds in verse 10. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And if you've been here the past few weeks, um, and if this, were, if this were a class, not a sermon, then it would be extra credit for the person who can guess the, the word behind the kindness. When he says this kindness is greater. Um, and it's the word hesed. Uh, this word that, that comes up over and over again in the book of Ruth. This is the theme word of the book. It's this covenant faithfulness, steadfast love. And, and so Boaz is saying that you have showed a first kindness. And that first kindness was to Naomi and faithfulness of leaving your people to, to go with her. And, and that this second kindness you've shown to, to me and, and that you have, you've not gone after the, the younger men of the town, whether they are rich or, or poor. And, and so what this implies is that Boaz was probably not, maybe not the most attractive person um, according to the world's standards, probably somebody who's a little bit older and, and so he's saying that, it, it, Ruth, if you were out for yourself, if you just wanted what was best for, for number one, that you could have gone perhaps and, and found a, a younger husband, somebody who's a, a better catch for you. But 
but you've shown this incredible sacrificial service and love that, that rather than just caring about what's the best marriage I can have, you're actually willing to, to marry somebody for the sake of your deceased father-in-law's house and that his line might continue in Israel and that, that God's covenant faithfulness to his people would continue and that they would possess the land and that no one would be blotted out of the tribe of Israel. Um, and so he's, he's impressed that, that she's willing to do this. And so look at what else he says in verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And so he, he's saying, don't worry. I'm going to, to take action here for your sake. I'm going to make sure that, you are, that you're cared for. And, and the reason he says for that is based on Ruth's character. He says that you know, all the people of the town know that already that you're not your typical Moabite, but you're actually somebody who's shown you know, this deep commitment to the God of Israel and, and faithfulness um, and, and love. Because just in ancient Israel, like the, today, and, and, and scripture is clear throughout that believers who are part of God's covenant shouldn't willingly or knowingly marry somebody who doesn't share the same, the same faith um, to be unequally yoked. Um, and so what he's saying here is that essentially I'm not going to be unequally yoked if I were to, to marry you, that the people know you are a worthy person, basically a, a worthy Israelite that, you know, what Jonathan talked about, his identity uh, her identity has been transcended from the you know, Moabite to this, this worthy woman of Israel. So he says, I can marry you in, in good conscience. But then what comes out in verse 12, I imagine, was kind of deflating to Ruth. That Boaz continues, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning... Um, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, holding God as witness, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So this here again shows the, the honor of, of Boaz, that he's, he's not saying, okay, I'm going, uh, I just, now I really like Ruth, I'm going to make sure that I'm the one who gets to marry her. But he's saying, I'm actually not first in line in terms of the, the family connections to marry you, which is probably the reason he hadn't stepped up to the plate up until this point. Um, and, but he says that I'm going to go talk to this other guy, and if he's not willing to marry you, then, then I will. So, I mean, it's incredible news. I'm sure she wants to marry Boaz at this point, but still, either way, uh, her future is, is secure. That, and, and so it's this beautiful thing. But then it's, it's interesting at the very end, though, how, how Boaz wraps up this interaction that, that he tells her to remain until sunrise. And the reason he says, is, you know, I want you to leave while it's still a little bit dark so that people won't see you go, so that no one will say that a woman was at the threshing floor. Um, and so he, he's taking steps to guard against false accusations, against appearance of evil. And, and I think that there's actually a lesson for us in that, where, where he's, he's willing to do what's right in the moment to care for Ruth. But then he's also, he's not living in the, the fear of what other people in the town think, or he wouldn't marry a, a Moabite woman probably to begin with. But yet he's still being wise and considering, we don't want to present the wrong thing here. We don't want people to gossip and lie 
and misunderstand what has happened here at the threshing floor. So let's let's take care and be wise. And I think you know that's good for us as well to think about, like to be careful uh, in the way we, we present ourselves, not out of fear, but out of out of wisdom. So he, he sends Naomi back. Then he he gets her um, the robe and fills it with grain. Um, it's probably about eighty pounds. Um, it was, so she's strong. She's a really strong lady. Um, and she carries it back as kind of an engagement ring, reports everything to Naomi, and, and they're excited, and they say, you know, he's, he's not going to wait long. He's going to take care of it tomorrow, and, and we'll look at that uh, when we get there next week. But probably, you know, as we, as we wrap up here today, one thing that you may have been thinking throughout all of this is, I mean, it's, it, it's an interesting, exciting story, but how does it really relate to us here today? And, and there can be a way of, of reading the Old Testament that, and this is sort of the Sunday school way of reading the Old Testament, where pretty much only thing you get from the Old Testament are moral lessons. Here's what people did. Don't do the bad things the bad people did. Do the good things the good people did. Okay, that's the lesson for today. Go home. Um, and, and there's some wisdom in that, because we, we do see a lot of, of wisdom and, and guidance of how we are to live, that, that yes, we can learn from, from Naomi here and and knowing, one, the, the need for a redeemer and, and not going to the wrong place, but going to Boaz. We can um, learn from that, okay, where are we going for redemption? Uh, we can learn from Ruth and, and her boldness um, in the face of uncertainty and our call to, to boldness quite often. We can learn from the character of Boaz that didn't take advantage of this young woman, but, but cared for her, looked out for her, showed great dignity, but also wisdom in avoiding the, the appearance of evil. But I think that the most important takeaway, though, is, is not just saying what do, we, what, what do we do ourselves, but how does, does this passage or any passage of the Old Testament show the, the person and the work of Christ? Because it's not just that the Old Testament, that we just kind of pulled Christ out at the end of, um, of any passage, right? Uh, but but that actually what Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 24, that, that the whole scripture, everything in the Bible points to him. And that this is a true story. And so when they're doing this, they're not thinking, you know, we're going to point forward to the Messiah to come through our actions. But that's what we see. We see these pictures of redemption and of restoration that point us invariably forward to the ultimate redemption that comes in Christ. And look at, at verse 9 of what Ruth says. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And, and such a beautiful picture for us of just what it looks like to come to Jesus Christ. That, that like Ruth, there, there can be risk in, in coming to Christ, to the, to the one who's the redeemer. It, people could think badly of you, make fun of you. Uh, they could... Um, mistreat you in some way. I mean, places around the world, people can be persecuted, killed for, for coming to Christ, taking risk, not knowing all of uh, the outcomes. But then as she comes, she doesn't come in herself just boasting her own deeds, her own righteousness. She doesn't say, I'm, I'm the, the faithful follower of, of Yahweh. I'm Ruth, the, the, the worthy woman. But she says, no, I, I'm, your, I'm your servant. And that we, when we come to Christ, we don't come claiming our own righteousness, our own goodness. We come humbly looking to him for everything. But then that doesn't mean at the same time that when we come to Christ that we, 
we don't come boldly, that we only come in humility. Yes, humility, but, but boldness. Because here, here she is, a, a woman proposing to a man, a Moabite to, to a Jew, a poor person to a richer person, um, a younger person to an older person. She has such incredible boldness. They cast your wings over me for you are a redeemer. And, and that's what we say to Christ as well. Lord, cast uh, your wings over me because of who you are and what you've done. Or as David, the great grandson of Ruth, um, wrote in Psalm 17, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wing. Um, because that, that's what we need. Because we do face hardship. We face a need for rest. We need shelter. We need support. And, and Jesus is the one who says, come to me all you who, you who are labor and weary and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, or take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so if we, if we cast everything on Christ we, we find rest and Boaz is able to redeem because of his close relationship to Naomi and Christ is able to redeem because he's God who took upon himself a human nature and partook of our likeness that is our kinsman redeemer of also descended from, from Adam but yet without sin and, and then he, he comes and he saves us through his life and his death and resurrection and spreads his, his wings over us and calls us to trust him and, and weds himself to us so that we're clothed in his righteousness and, and get a new identity. And it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that, that we have um, through what Christ has done for us. And, and it is that, that sheltering work of Christ that we see symbolized and held forth for us here in the, in the Lord's Supper. Uh, that we, we, if you're on the, the run, uh, you're not, you don't sit down for, for a meal that the, generally when you sit down with loved ones for, for a meal, it's a time of, of rest when, when the harvest is in uh, and you can partake of the fullness that, that has been provided. And that's what, what we have here symbolized, that we, we, Christ has, has given us not 80 pounds of barley, but he's given us himself, uh, that he lived and died for us because he, he loves us, that he spread his his wings over us. He has brought us into his family and, and adopted us. Um, and, and so we're able to come as, as sons and daughters and, and heirs of the, the kingdom.